Hey now, my name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. This podcast is not a one-size-fits-all template. I like to mix up the topics from the latest news, politics, federal, state, and local government, business, and entrepreneurship. And I love to feature people whom I find genuinely compelling and fascinating. Yes, it's a Maryland-based podcast, but oftentimes I like to cover issues outside of Maryland that may go unreported. My hope is that this podcast is an exploration of the truth. It's a platform where all is welcome and no conversation is off limits. And as my last name reminds me, the minor details of every story matter. For the latest episodes and to subscribe, please visit a aminordetailpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Friday afternoon, May 31st, the last day of May, we are going into the spring, and I, the way that I know that we're going into the spring is that it's lighter out every morning, and I love it. It gets, I, Jake, it gets light out at my house at like 5.30, and I love it because I have this, I have think I have like seasonal depression where if it's dark out in the mornings, but spring is here, June is tomorrow, we are sitting here in Ellicott, it's Ellicott City, yeah, Ellicott City over here in uh, in good old Howard County, and we're at a place called Pasta Blitz, and it is a home style Italian place. These are the restaurants that I love. It just imagine a Sunday dinner, and if it's not for the Sopranos having dinner at their kitchen table, come on over here out to eat with mom and grandma and grandpa and dad and brothers and sisters to a place called Pasta Blitz. We're right off of University Boulevard. And I tell you what, you have to try this food. It is the best, one of the local, it's locally owned. It's classic Italian food, and I love it. It's not good, maybe not the best for your waistline, but it's still good food. I have an interesting guest today. His name is Jake Burdett. He is a student at Salisbury University, and he's going to talk to the podcast today all about his ordeal. And I think that's the best way to describe it, his ordeal surrounding Andy Harris's uh, office and Jake, I appreciate you coming on and being flexible for this podcast. We've been meaning to do this for a couple of weeks now, but I want to introduce you. Tell me about yourself, who you are, and a little bit about your background. Yeah, so uh, as you said, I'm uh, here in Howard County. This is where uh, born and raised. My family still lives here. I'm 21 years old right now, turning 21 at the end of February. And uh, I Do you remember that date? You remember that uh, twenty from going into twenty to twenty first? Yes, it was. Uh, Did you have a few beers? Uh, unfortunately, because Maryland has that weird vertical license thing, <laughs> like you can't get it unless you you get your new license ahead of time, which I did not do. So I unfortunately could not uh, get the ceremonial twenty first birthday drink. Uh, well, I remember mine. I was in a fraternity in college, and my fraternity brothers took me to the most dive bar in in the south side of Pittsburgh. We started after our fraternity meeting. It was on a Tuesday night. I turned 21 on Wednesday, November the 15th, 19, or 2006. I was, yeah, it was historic. And uh, I, I won't talk about the number of shots that I've taken. And I look back at that period of time, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I get, yeah, right. I couldn't even, I mean, and they, they drew little lines on my arm. And I, <laughs> that's right. And so, you know, we... We, we did things that uh, 
we'll we'll discuss at another podcast episode. So you're, you're 21. You, you're a um, so that would make you uh, is you're going into your senior year at. It's okay. I still don't know. Yeah, my uh, my father uh, had and still does have like a private accounting firm. It's small, but it's his. So mm-hmm. that was sort of what I was planning to do. Family business. To, yeah, uh, work for him, maybe take it over one day, and then uh, I took an accounting class my senior year <laughs> in high school and uh, wanted to kill myself. So I was like, okay, uh, accounting's not for me. Um, but this was around the time. When I was a senior in high school, 17, 18 years old, uh, 2015, 2016 period, um, the 2016 election was ramping up, and uh, I was pretty apolitical before then just because politics was not really something talked about in my family, so it was never really introduced to me, and I had a relatively privileged upbringing, so I had no reason to really, like, examine the political system or anything, but then with the 2016 election, uh, got really into it and sort of just through YouTubers, actually, just got really into, like, uh, progressive politics, and, like, it all sort of really resonated with me, especially uh, the message around, like, income inequality, just because Howard County, where we are right now, it's uh, technically the second wealthiest county, according to median income in the entire country, Um, so... Uh, but with that being said, that also means that there's a massive amount of income inequality. So um, I had sort of seen that growing up. So that's uh, what sort of opened my eyes to it and why I think, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is really who got me into it. And that's why I think his message resonated with me. So I decided, um, you know, I didn't want to, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, you know what, I'll do political science. So I became a political science major. Um, went to Towson my freshman year, didn't really get involved or do anything there, and didn't have a good time, so I decided I'm going to transfer to Salisbury University. What was the what was the reason behind the switch? Yeah, so uh, the, the, the reason I didn't want to keep going to Towson was just because I didn't really like, put myself out there enough. I didn't get involved with any clubs. I, I just didn't meet many people, so I just had, you know, was generally bored and didn't really have a good time there, and I had friends at uh, Salisbury University, so... Um, there wasn't really like a ton of thought into it to be honest like it's not like I you know I love Ocean City go there every summer um, but it was just kind of random in that I knew people there so I, I went there and I decided you know what I didn't really like it at Towson because I didn't get involved with anything well I'm really into this politics stuff this progressive politics stuff um, I bet the campus has like a college Democrats or something so I switched to Salisbury they did have a college Democrats I got uh, very involved with that um, through them, got involved with a group called uh, the Lower Shore Progressive Caucus, um, which is like an out revolution in progressive Maryland. Are you, are you responsible for that group? Did you create that? I know about it. I, I, I've i seen it on social media, and I see that they are active. And there's a guy that I think his, his name is Jared, right? Jared is Is he the, the founder or the creator? or? He, uh, I think he played a role in founding it. It was created little less than a year maybe about a year before I transferred to Salisbury but um, really one of the kind of the key founder was Mike Feldman Michael Feldman um, who works for Progressive or at the time he didn't work for Progressive Maryland but now he does Um, but I remember him in a in a costume uh, he looked like the Monopoly man yes I was actually there I was uh, one of the people holding up a check yeah that was the first direct action I ever (laughs) that's uh, funny took part in yeah protesting I like that which is a definitely will come up later in the story uh, in the context of direct action again. So you got involved with college politics and you 
got your spurs, so to speak, did you, I assume you would got involved in some campaigns down on the, the shore? Yeah, uh, Mike, Michael Pullen, uh, who was, ran in the Democratic primary against Andy Harris, he didn't end up winning, but I was pretty involved in that campaign. I also, uh, I actually ran myself for Democratic Central Committee in Wacomico County and uh, was successful and got elected, so I'm still on the Central Committee, so... Um, during the 2018 general election period, I was involved with many of the local like, county council campaigns and whatnot, and I even managed uh, a state delegate campaign for a guy named Kirkland Hall running in Somerset and Worcester County on the lower shore. What do you think of Jake Day? Jake Day? Uh, I actually uh, interned for, for Jake Day. At the mayor's office. Yeah, he, he's a nice guy. Um, I, I, he's not quite as left as I would want him to be, so, you know, I do have... Um, Mike Rice with him, but like there, and you know, in terms of the Eastern Shore, there's many worse mayors that you could have. Um, but I think, in in fairness, I think it's fair to say that Jake is, barring politics on the municipal side, which I think they tend to really not so much focus on who's a Republican or a Democrat, and Jake's a Democrat. But rather, what is how can we move the community forward with business development and building the tax base out and inspiring new business to relocate to Salisbury? And Salisbury has a lot of promise, really. And I think under Jake and his council's leadership, they are starting to build a revolution around Salisbury. Uh, they have a great craft beer down there. I like it. I love going to Salisbury. Yeah, it's- say salt the salisbury today is much much better than the salisbury of like even five or ten years ago i think that's fair i do i think that's very very fair to say i do think jake day probably you know had a significant role in that just because he you know went to oxford for like city planning and whatnot so he's an educated guy and has been preparing for this for a while i think but some people do have what i view as you know legitimate concerns just in that it's not a very well-known uh, it's kind of a well, well hidden secret that his father is actually the CEO of Purdue, which you know has a ton of influence on the Lower Shore and the Eastern Shore. So I think some people are concerned that that might be a bit of a conflict of interest. Which you know um, I get that we have to you know keep an eye on him and make sure that he doesn't do any favors for them. Um, and I, so I think there are some people concerned with with that sort of thing, um, and also. Uh, city gentrification of Salisbury because that's sort of anytime you you revitalize a city that's always a concern Um, but you know you take the good with the bad you know no one's perfect but he has you know from what I've heard done a lot for the city and a lot of you know for example he has a a housing first uh, homelessness program is the first small city uh, in the country to to basically just give homeless people housing, which sounds crazy, but it's actually cheaper than keeping them on the streets, and it saves taxpayers money in uh, ways that you wouldn't even think. So I, I have a lot of respect for him, you know, for things like that. So fast-forwarding, let's talk about yeah. your, some of your activism and why you're here today to talk about what happened surrounding the, the I don't want to call it infamous Andy Harris incident, but it it's turned into a thing, right? And we found out about it. It was reported on by the Baltimore Sun, did you get a post interview? Uh, I, yeah, the Washington Post reached out to me, the Associated Press. Um, so yeah, there were some national outlets. Okay, so let's bring us to the precursor of this event and the history behind it. When we talk about the Andy Harris event, I'll give the backdrop. You and a few other students, um, activists. Yeah, there were some students, like 
So th th this was planned by a group called MDMJ Maryland Marijuana Justice, which is a sister group of uh, DCMJ DC Marijuana Justice, which is very influential in getting marijuana legalized uh, for recreational use in Washington DC. The leader of it is a guy named Adam Eidinger who has pretty big profile. He's got a Wikipedia page. Uh, big outlets have done profiles on him. Um, so he's you know and he's been doing activism like this for for decades. Um, so this was organized not by me, but by those groups, which, you know, I would volunteer with those groups. And so they got about like 15, you know, older activists. And then me, a student at Salisbury University, got about 10 or 15. So it's, it's a, a group that formed and wanted to visit Andy Harris, who is a Republican congressman, the sole Republican congressman in the state of Maryland, and so you decided to visit his office on the shore? Yeah, and I, I shouldn't say uh, visit. Like, this was a planned protest. Like, okay, so it was a protest. A protest, yeah. And so you went up to his office, and I believe his, his he has one of his shore offices in Queen Anne's County. Yeah, that's not the one that we went to. Which one did you go we to? We the one in Salisbury. He's got a constituent okay. office in Salisbury. How many staffers? Um, there was probably, there's at least, there's like three or four. So people who handle constituent services in the district. Andy Harris has a pretty widespread congressional district. It goes from all the way down from Ocean City to across the bridge, up through Baltimore County, and then parts of Harford and Cecil. So it's 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 a very big congressional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of reminiscent and and. It's very that's that's a that's a fair position. It's a, it is a very gender, gerrymandered district. So a group of you decided that you're going to go and visit Andy Harris's Salisbury congressional office. He wasn't there. He, he was not there, and I should say this was actually uh, took quite a bit of coordination because we had the protest at his uh, Salisbury constituent office that was at 4:20 p.m. <laughs> yeah, uh, perfect. Um, so it's a group that you are an advocate to support yeah. le legalizing marijuana at the federal level and, and at the state level, I assume. Yeah, and earlier that day, um, there was a protest scheduled by DCMJ, because we were MDMJ because we were in Maryland, but at his D.C. office there was a protest scheduled at noon in coordination with ours um, where people actually got arrested there, but those were planned arrests. Um, woman named Chris Furnish, shout out Chris Furnish, uh, from one of the founders of MDMJ. Um, she actually uh, smoked a joint in his D.C. office, which... I think that's legal, right? Yeah, well, not on federal property. It's like a slap on the wrist. Like, they got, they got <laughs> Did she get arrested? Yeah, she got arrested, but it's like, you know, it's like a $50 fine or something, and then you get out. Like, so, the 30-second spiel, what does Jake, why does Jake Burdett believe that marijuana should be legalized at a federal level? Marijuana should be legalized at a federal level because uh, by nearly every single metric, it is not as bad for you both on a health level and on a society level with the social ills compared to alcohol. And we've seen uh, the devastating effects that uh, prohibiting alcohol had back in like the 1920s and the 30s just in terms of feeding organized crimes and locking people up. It's actually drugs are less safe when they're unregulated. Um, and now we're seeing a very similar thing happen with the war on drugs. Um, so it's not even just marijuana that I'm, like, passionate about. I think it, for it to be a war that there has to be a inevitable winner or loser. And so far in the war on drugs, there's only been massive losses. And it's it ties into 
the crime bill of 94. It ties into a whole... Yeah, and I think it ties into significant legislation um, from the past and the present. So the war on drugs, in my in, in my impression is, is that it hasn't gone very well. And it, it ruins people's lives because I think, you know, I, I also have some libertarian tendencies specifically on social issues, and I think people should be allowed to put in whatever they want in their own bodies as long as they're not hurting people. And uh, it, it's very rare that someone smokes some weed and then gets in a violent fit of rage. You're way more likely to see something like that happen. There's there's nuance, and we could spend an in several episodes on cannabis, medical cannabis, um, CBD. I... I think that's a fascinating topic, and I'm I'm going to try to put together a new series of podcasts on on talking to the dispensaries. Uh, th- look, it's still marijuana is still very illegal at the federal level, and when Jeff Sessions was the Attorney General of the United States, he was adamantly opposed to that, and so they that's a whole other topic. But so I understand why you believe it. So mm-hmm. Last year, uh, I got caught with less than 10 grams of marijuana. At college? Uh, actually, on my way to Salisbury from Howard County. It was in Talbot County in Easton. So you got, were you stopped or were you... stopped for, for speeding. For speeding. Actually about like, you know, maybe like 12 miles over the speed limit. And how did they discover that you had they marijuana? Could smell, they could smell it. Were you smoking it in the car? Uh, no, I was not smoking it. I mean, it has a... Po- I mean, we all know... <laughs> yeah. Well, we all know what marijuana smells like. Yeah. I mean, it's it's potent. We know that it has a a firm stench of and and most of anybody who is listening to this podcast knows exactly what. And so, were you were you detained or in, arrested or how to, or, or did they give you kind of like a fine? Yeah. Ah, uh, so it was a must appear. Yeah. And so, how did that turn out? After how was that adjudicated? Um, they just gave me the minimum penalty of fifty dollars, just because that's I have a very clean record. And but it wasn't like they, you didn't get a a, yeah. a criminal thing. I say only to a degree. I've been a victim, but like, had this happened to me. Uh, in, in another state where it's not decriminalized, and it does happen to people every single day, yeah. it's not decriminalized. It can, and especially if you have prior charges, and, that can really yeah. And and Jake, when did this incident occur? Um, this was I don't know the exact month, but it was like sometime in probably early 2018. Okay, so why don't we move to the crux of what happened? So tell me, let's back up. The what day did you and the other activists? Um, dis- descend upon the Andy Harris's congressional office, and I want to just note as a footnote in this discussion, Andy Harris has been rabidly opposed to marijuana legalization, not only in the state of Maryland, but also really has interjected into the D.C. side of it and has exercised his what he believes his congressional authority as a member of Congress to oppose that in a way that I would say no other member of Congress has quite done. And I think that he has been leading the the charge against 
not only I don't know where he stands on medicinal marijuana, um, and that's a whole other discussion. But he has been really opposed to this. So you decided as a pro legalization group, and and that that um, I mean, look, you knew that this is probably going to be a bit contentious. And and look, it's a protest, it's it's a protest right? And it's not supposed to make someone feel comfortable. You're yeah. you are as an activist, you are wearing on your sleeve your your ideas and your ideas for policy for reform and you're taking that to a congressman who not only is essentially in total disagreement with diametrically opposed to your philosophies on marijuana and government in general and politically but i mean he's a very pro donald trump congressman yeah, and that's fair to say. I mean, he was very much so a part of that movement when it began in 2010. I remember Andy Harris being that instrumental in that and in, in the state of Maryland. So take us back to the day that it happened. What Do you remember which day it was? Yeah, so it was on uh, October 2nd, 2018, shortly before the 2018 election, which I think probably played into the time of deciding to do it then. Mm-hmm. This wasn't something that was planned by me. It was planned by MDMJ and DCMJ. So, and you just were taking part in it. Uh, yeah, I'm just going. Yeah. You're not an organizer. Yeah. You you just came along for the ride. And I brought some friends. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so so in total, how many were there? There was probably about twenty to thirty of us. And so, did you drive together? Did you drive separately? We carpooled. It was just in downtown Salisbury, about ten minutes away from the university. But we all meet up outside the building and like i'm assuming that they had outside of his building outside of the, annie harris's office building okay and about what time was this this was at 4 20 <laughs> okay okay 4 20 in the afternoon i was gonna say in the morning i don't think anybody would be in the office so it, at around 4 20 in the afternoon you and a group of activists are uh and did you have any video cameras or yeah, was there so, video rolling outside yeah. before you went in so we, we meet up outside i'm expecting them to have some sort of plan or idea of like what we're doing and kind of show up uh adam shows up and he's like so oh so adam who is the the advocate the yeah. the activist yeah. he's there as well he's there yeah he okay showed, i think he was also at the the dc one maybe like four hours earlier and then he drove to this one as well um and he basically asks on the spot does anyone want to volunteer to get arrested i'm not trying to do that none of this is a lot of the people's first direct action so none of us are really trying to get arrested did anybody volunteer no one volunteered and 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 that's a that's a big ask from from activists and i know that people who put their their policies and their ideas on the front line um sometimes will go to that measure of of being detained or booked and 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 incarcerated I mean, I, I can understand that, but I, I think that asking someone, to, especially a college student, and, and, and as, as a, when I was a young and dogmatic college student, um, I would have probably said, oh, yeah, well, I, I mean, but then I would think if my mother found out, and she would inevitably get that call, and my mother has gotten that call where I've been in trouble before, and it's not a fun call. Because who else is going to, your parents love you, but they still, <laughs> look, they still have a right to be pissed at you. And as a father to two right now, I'm just waiting someday. I know it's going to happen, that they're going to, something's going to happen. But, so you said, no, nah, you know what, I, I'm not really, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go that far. I'm here. I'm, 
in full agreement with what you are trying to accomplish and we're going to try to make some progress here talking to these staffers today but not necessarily going to the route of being arrested so you guys so then do you walk in all at the same time into his office What's a die-in? So it's it's a marijuana legalization protest, but it's specifically tied to like the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the symbolism is like you just pretend to overdose and just like lay on the ground. That's what happened uh, at the the DC office at, at noon. Is they um, they did a die-in and then eventually before they was this the office of Andy Harris? Yeah. Oh, so they okay earlier four hours before, and so they did the die-in, pretended to overdose, and then. Did they did they only pick Andy Harris that day because of his approach to, to marijuana legalization, or they are they are they targeting other members of Congress? It's, it's specifically Andy Harris. They Adam and Andy have had a, a long running vendetta against each other for years because Adam was so influential in getting it legalized in D.C. And then Andy Harris, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. really watered it down. And what he did by doing that was. Uh, it's technically it's legal to possess marijuana in D.C., but you can't buy it in a store. There's this weird loophole that you have to do because of a provision that Andy Harris put in. Of a, so you can't just go buy an eighth of weed for thirty dollars. Is that is that the going rate? Uh, it I mean, you you would know. Probably cheaper at at, at a college, but really, know, yeah. Um, an eighth. How much is that? I mean, three point five grams. Okay, so if it's it's a a baggie full. Little, yeah, yeah. Okay. That'll last you like a couple. Forgive my terminology. I'm not up on my (laughs) my marijuana terminology. I haven't I haven't smoked marijuana for a long time. Um, Probably, mm, I can't even remember the last time. I mean, it's it's been it's been a couple of years. My uh, my father is a a a marijuana. I I don't know if I should say this. He doesn't listen. I mean, God bless him. But my dad is a a very, very talented, smart guy. And he, uh, growing up in Boonesboro, Maryland, um, they they had their own business, I believe. And, uh, I mean, this is back in the 70s and 80s. So I probably shouldn't be saying this. But you know what? It's, uh, it's, It's part of, it's part of my my it's being real look i mean we and uh you know in college i i remember that uh i i tried it and uh you know it there's many medicinal benefits too as well i mean i um people we could go into that but anyway back to back to that day october 2nd 2018 you're meeting in the parking lot adam is there he's giving you a briefing asks anybody if they want to be arrested Nobody volunteers necessarily, and so the next step is is that you walk into yeah, Congress. Tells us right before we go in because it is a protest. He's like, mm-hmm. "All right, everyone, get your phone out." Okay. Start okay. So, so, so live streaming, and and that's that's to be expected, right? I mean, our our phones today are an extension of of who we are, and it has, and I think you have an iPhone ten. Yeah. So I use this for pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean, for for media, for email, and anything that you could imagine. It's a computer in our exactly, and and so I, I I think that's a fair assumption that anybody who would be there that day is going to want to record the interaction, and and that keeps everybody on a level playing field. Now, did Andy Harris's office, any of his staffers, did they have a an idea? Did they have any intel that you were coming? Yeah. So because there was a protest four hours earlier where people got arrested, and that one also. 
we like advertised this ahead of time on Facebook. So okay. I'm, so know, he was monitoring so, it. So they knew to expect us. Was there a police presence there? There, surprisingly, not not from what I could see, and we weren't like violent or, or anything like that. So uh-huh. I don't even know if like a police presence would have been necessary, but we. Um, so mistake number one, because that was the plan, was it was supposed to be a die-in, and I guess Adam was going to do the die-in and, and consider getting arrested for civil disobedience, and I guess play it by ear. But mistake number one is when you're considering people getting arrested at a direct action, it has to be extremely coordinated and, and thought out ahead of time so that no one makes a mistake that they don't want to make and then get themselves in extra trouble that they don't want to get in. Um, so... We didn't. They didn't really do that necessary planning. And for example, um, none of us had even been inside the office building. So it, it turned out Andy Harris's office building. It's like one of those buildings where it's like a big privately owned building that contain that has a lot of floors, and then different businesses rent out a space. Right. In the building. So yeah. It's, so it's it's kind of like a. a, a I have a, I have a, an, exactly an idea of how it's laid out. So technically, Jake, you were on private property. Well, so the building itself is private, but then his office within that building, because it's paid for by public funds, that it's a public office, mm-hmm. but the building outside, so the hallway is a mm-hmm. private space. Was it a small space? Uh, so it's actually a seven-floor building. Like, like I said, we didn't really know this ahead of time. His floor is on the seventh floor. So we all walk. The elevator's broken. We all got to walk up <laughs> seven flights of stairs while live streaming. And we get to the office, which, or no, we don't get to the office. We get to the hallway, which again, the hallway is technically private space, but his office. No, nobody did any reconnaissance to to map this yeah. out, but prior, and that's yeah, okay. And that's all right. A mistake that, that Why do you think that's a mistake? Because um, it, it plays directly into the story. So what okay. happened was we get to the hallway, and there are several different offices on that floor. And because we didn't know where his office on the floor was, we're just kind of wandering, like 30 people just wandering around. Did anybody area. stop you and say, what are all these people doing here? And what? Yeah. Uh, One woman stopped us who came when we were like on the bottom floor trying to figure out if the elevator was working. I guess the elevator could go down or something. And a woman comes out who worked for the building. She asked us what we were there for. We told her and she's like... She worked in the building, but not Harris's office. And she's like, "Oh, I hate Andy Harris." Oh. I, and she, she literally joined us on the spot. Yeah, oh, so she joined she you. Joined our pro team. Who works in the building? Works oh, that's funny. That's how hated this guy is. Um, so. Well, that's that's interesting and and funny uh, at the same time. So you walk in to his. I assume that he probably. So, so actually, because we didn't quite know where his office was, we're just wandering around the halls, and because they were looking out for us and expecting mm-hmm. us. Um, they see us out there. They're like, "Oh, the protesters are here." So okay. In an attempt to defuse the situation, we're all live streaming, by the way. In an attempt to defuse the situation, the staffer, his name's Bill Reddish, who I had like met before that, and I knew him a little bit. Um, he comes out, and then uh, so he, before we can even get into his office, he comes out into to, the hallway, into the hallway. Into the hallway. And we're, we're all live streaming. And was he was he pleasant? Was he uh, what was his demeanor and like? This whole thing, he did he did a good job defusing the situation. Sort of immediately like sucked the power out of us, and that's why I'm saying it's such a big mistake that we didn't survey the area beforehand. So he comes out, and then he's like, "Hey, you know, I know you guys are here with uh, you know the the Maryland uh, Maryland Marijuana Justice people. Um, 
look, I can't have all of you in, come into the office. And, and that was the demand Adam was making. Is like, we want to have a face-to-face -face meeting with Andy Harris. Um, because I guess Adam thought, like, oh, if I just talk to Andy Harris, I can convince him. Um, which but, I, but, yeah. but, but Adam should... He's obviously a skilled political operator. Yeah. He would he would know that Andy Harris would unlikely be there yeah. on that day. I mean, if it's October, they they should be in session. Um, at, but your goal that day wasn't necessarily to meet with Harris. That, that's just what he said verbally. And then, like, no did you guys call any other media? Did you guys notify the media or uh, the the Salisbury newspaper or some of the local television stations that you're doing this? I'm not sure because, like I said, I didn't really have okay. A Right, you you were just along for the ride. They may have, but okay, so, um, that's fair. So obviously that was not the expectation was that we wouldn't even get into the office. So Adam just like sort of makes an executive decision. He's like, all right, everyone, let's just like sit down, sit down in the hall. So we all sit down, like all thirty of us, and then we're like sort of making our demands to Bill Reddish, and then Bill Reddish is like, look, you know, I, Andy Harris, he's in D.C. He can't we close at five? He can't get here before five, uh, the, the next best thing I could do is I could meet with you guys and tell Andy Harris what you have to say. Well, that's fair, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you, you wanted somebody to hear you. You yeah. wanted somebody from a representative from the congressman's office to say, listen, we hear you, we're going to talk to you, and let's talk this issue through. So then, did you pick five or six yeah. people to yeah, go so inside? He says, he says, so I can't have all 30 of you come in there and make some excuse, like, fire code violations. Oh, well, I think that's fair. I, I mean, it's probably a thing, but I doubt that the limit is like 10 people. Like, <laughs> I, I bet we could have had more than just six. But that's that's his convenient, you know, reasoning that he gives at the time. So um, I'm one of the six people who get selected to go in, essentially, just because I had a little bit more experience with direct right. than some of the others. So um, at this point, you know, we're all still live streaming. He knows that we're live streaming. So now we are in the public office. We're no longer... Inside of the lobby of the public office. Yeah, or, no, we go, like, directly into the office itself. Okay. Right? Like, so we walk through the lobby, obviously. Did you walk through the lobby, and then they seat you in a conference-like yeah. setting? Okay, so you sit down, you're inside of this room, and it's you... Do you remember how many people were inside? Yeah, so it's me and the five others who got chosen, and then... Do you remember their names? Um, I do, yeah. It was Jared Halcott, who works for Progressive Maryland. everyone polite yeah i mean they were as polite as could be you know even us we were polite just with our demands you know despite it being a protest so there is an inherent so, level of, like aggression there and let's get to the the main issue did they saw they had to see that you were using your iphone or mobile device yeah. to record the interaction yeah. and were you still live so, streaming at so that time Mm -hmm. So 
that's the way he phrases it. He says it's it's an office policy. He didn't say, oh, you know, it's illegal in the state of Maryland to record someone without their consent because we have a two-party consent law. That's right. I did not know at the time right. because I am the generation of iPhones where everyone's recording everything all the time. I didn't live through the Linda Trip situation, which now I know about because so many people told me about it after oh, the yeah. situation happened. That's a, that's a good... Uh, it's a good descriptor of that period of time. Yeah. So, and Linda Tripp, yeah, that, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. So, you said, okay, all right. Did you, so, so, did you continue so to I record? Did, yeah, because I didn't know yeah. that that was illegal, and I'm thinking, like, this is a protest in a public area, like, with a taxpayer-funded staffer of a public representative talking about matters of public importance, which is what marijuana legalization is. Like, what? And they have, at the same time, they've got cameras in, in that room recording me. Why can they record me and what I'm doing when we pay their, their salary? So that's fair. And I want to ask you this question. Do you think where you were at that moment in that room that there was some sort of reasonable expectation of privacy? That, that you were there to have a one-on-one meeting and it was stated previously, b- before you even began the conversation, that... The, the, the staffer, Bill, yeah. did not want you to record yeah. based on their policy. Yeah. Okay. So, right. so I view, so, and, and that's really what's debatable about this is, so the, he, asked me, he asked us to stop recording. Everyone else, because everyone else is older, they knew yeah. about the two-party consent law. Right. Um, I was perfectly fine with being escorted out, which is what I thought the penalty was, because that's what he said. Um, so I, like, put my phone on my lap and... Uh, can act like I'm not recording. So I did take steps to, like, conceal that I was recording, but, of course, I didn't know that there was any legal issues with that because you see, like, the Project Veritas people, you know, like, the right-wing people who do the same thing at, like, Democratic Congress offices, and they even, like, edit their videos in, in sometimes. Um, and, you know, I've never heard of them getting in trouble because I guess they were doing it in one-party consent laws where it was legal. I did not know Maryland was a two-party consent law, but it all comes down to even with Maryland being a two-party consent law, it's, it's all about that exact phrase, reasonable expectation of privacy. It, it's, it's hard sometimes yeah. to, to define that, where yeah. you might be. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a gray area that attorneys will quabble over. Yeah. So y- you had the meeting. You talked yeah. to Bill. What Was anything accomplished? Or, it, yeah, so um, really, no, nothing, nothing was accomplished. How long were you inside? We were there for like 40 minutes. Okay, like, so that's a reason... Yeah, that's a that's a fair amount of time for a congressional staffer to spend with you. And did you walk through your issues and your demands. your demands, yeah. grievances, or kind of where you wanted the congressman to at least a- approach your position and appreciate it? Really, the biggest ask that Adam kept doing was just like we want Harris to just talk, like meet with us into like one on one. Like we want to talk to Harris directly and not work through. Staff what did Bill say to that? Bill was, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask the congressman. I'll and has he yet? No. Okay. He hasn't, and I don't think he ever will. Okay. Um, but, so it, it's all about, the, like you said, the, the reasonable expectation of privacy. So, obviously, he did have an expectation of privacy because he said, stop recording, and then I pretended to stop mm. recording. The big question is, and there's something called the CATS test, uh, which is, like, what's relied on as president. So, it's two conditions of one, did they have the expectation of privacy? Yes, I do think he did. But then the other condition is, would society at large consider that expectation of privacy to be reasonable? To which I would say, considering he is a public official in a public office, paid for by taxpayer money, 
and this is a protest talking about an issue of public importance, should they really have an expectation of privacy? And you thought that was unreasonable? Now I do. At the time, I wasn't even thinking about it. Because you weren't necessarily... Right. So you weren't squared away with what you can and cannot do with audio and video recording. I thought it was, like, completely legal. Um, And, you know... So that's fair. I mean, look, you you didn't... You're 21 years old, okay? You you didn't... At the time I was 21, I... I didn't know what I didn't know, okay? And that's fair, man. Okay, I've, I've been there. I've been where you were. Um, I remember when I, we had a fraternity party at my house as a uh, as an SAE, and it was in our house in the Pittsburgh South Sides where we, we, we all lived. And I remember the cops coming in, and I'm like, uh, you know, they they didn't have any reasonable expectation to come into our house. There was no probable cause. And here, m- me thinking I know it all, mouthing off, and then look what happened. We ended up getting cited. And it was my fault. My fraternity brothers were so freaking pissed off at me. And they had every right to be because I was a dumb kid who didn't realize how to keep my mouth shut. If that were the case, I would have dummied up and said nothing and said, why don't you get your supervisor here? And then I would have recorded the conversation because I think any interaction that you have with a police officer, if it's warranted, I think you should record the conversation. And, and that, that's another thing that plays into uh, was is the reasonable expectation of privacy valid here because in 2010 there was a court case. Um, there was a biker who got pulled over and he had like a, a helmet cam and he, you know, the cop pulling mm-hmm. him over is on it and then later the cop tried to sue him and say you know, <laughs> doesn't work that way and they ruled that for cops and other public officials yep. they don't have the same that's exactly right so it's a matter of like they but they didn't really define what a public official was so it's it's all a legal gray area which where did you so you left where'd you post the video we left so it was a facebook live stream so okay like it was just being posted automatically on on your personal on feed and people were watching this, so did you keep the feed, did you keep the, the Facebook Live video up? Yeah, so, so what happens is, like I said, I had no idea about the two-party consent law. Mm-hmm. Or so then, like, the next day, when more people are seeing it, people are commenting, like, hey, um, you're not allowed to, like, record someone without their permission in Maryland. So I, like, call a friend, and I check, like, is that true? And they're like, yeah, that's true. So Did you delete it? I deleted it within 24 hours. Did Andy Harris's office know that that video existed, or did they see the recording so, of that? And here's here's why it's sketchy. According to like the police report or like the court documents or whatever, while we were there, while I was taking the live stream, um, because it was on, it was live, and everyone could see it in the moment. Um, you know, people on Facebook are watching it, commenting during the thing. Of course, I can't see what they're commenting because I had like my phone down on my lap, mm. not looking. Because you were tra- you were trying to conceal it, yeah. But I think Harris's DC office mm-hmm. is what's happening. And they How did they have access to your Facebook feed? It probably just got shared. Okay. Enough or like. I mean, do you have a public feed? Yeah, I have a public. Feed. Okay, so anybody could click on your profile that isn't your friend and check out what you're posting. Yeah, okay. So, so Someone must have sent it their way, and they, they got hold of it. So they call his Salisbury office uh, and tell the staffers, hey, there's someone live streaming in that room. But at no point do they ever come in and say, hey, we know that you're live streaming. Stop doing mm-hmm. that. They don't do that at all. Okay. Um, so they, they they were made aware of it. I, like I said, deleted it within 24 hours. I called um, the staffer, Bill Reddish, because like I said, I had prior like i met him before so i call him and i apologize personally he says what was his response he's like 
Well, this is after like they had already like filed like a, a police report. Okay, so then we'll back up. So how soon after did were you ever arrested? I was never arrested. No. You were just given a summons. Yeah, yeah. Did they send it to your Salisbury address? I'm told even before the summons, like I'm told, like I get a call. Um, I think actually my family back in Howard County might have gotten the call first from like the Salisbury Police Department. So the Salisbury Police Department is the the policing jurisdiction that handled your yeah. case. So they, they so they called your parents first. They, yeah, I, I oh. can't remember if they called my parents first or called me first, but they called my parents. <laughs> so which one of your parents called you and said, Jake, what the hell is going on? Uh, I think it was my mom. What was that like? Uh, they, they were not happy. <laughs> well, they were not pleased, I'm sure. Were they like, come on, you know? They, they just like wanted to know what happened. Um, and how much money they need to spend for a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which ended up getting paid for by Adam, luckily. So okay. So, how soon after you were in, so it was the second, I mean, did this call happen immediately, or? Here's the behind the scenes scoop yeah. on that that I've not even really talked about. Mm-hmm. There was a whole lot of fallout between the, the D.C. protest at noon, because they had protested that one ahead of time, too, and, like, Andy Harris just absolutely hates Adam and, like, the D.C. MJ people. So when they were, like, going to, to meet him at his office, like, he wasn't in his office. He was walking in the halls, and he sees them. Mm-hmm. And, like, to avoid having to talk to them, he literally, like, runs to get in his office. And they're, like, kind of, like, trying to also get in. And one woman, like, sort of, he's, like, trying to, like, slam the door. One woman kind of gets her foot, like, <laughs> in the door a little bit. Um, and then they were, like, as, as leverage, they were trying to say, well, hey, that's assault. Like technically, like technically speaking, it might be assault, but they were really like trying to play it up to like gain some sort of leverage, like you know, probably to, to go the angle of like you know, just meet with us, like just meet with us, and like we won't we'll shut up about this little assault thing. We won't take that anywhere. That's probably what their angle was with that. So they're like threatening the press, like assault charges against Annie Harris, just to like get it more in the news, and then. I got a call from them saying, like, yeah, so we, you know, kind of talked to Andy Harris about that, or to, we talked to Bill Reddish about that, and then Bill Reddish said, well, you know, one of the people at the protest did take a technically illegal recording, or at least from his perspective, illegal recording, um, and, you know, so he's basically, I, the vibe that I got is, it sounded like if they go after him for the assault thing, he's going to go after me for the, uh, he he is in is in Andy yeah, Harris. Andy Harris and Bill Reddick. Yeah, yeah. So so from there, just for my own self interest, I'm like one. Even if it is technically assault, like her foot was not really injured. No one's gonna really like buy that. It's just not gonna get them that the result. And and really, that doesn't help your yeah, exactly. your case. So, so I was like, it's not worth. And like, he's not gonna get charged with a felony. But I was facing two felonies with a maximum potential. Of ten years in prison. So you were facing two felonies because of the recording. Because of the recording, yeah. So I'm like, well, I didn't even. They, they had not pressed charges at that point, but that was like what I could have been. Well, let's just back up because I'm I'm trying to piece this together. How long after you were in the office and you left? Yeah. What was the timeline? What was how? When did you receive this the summons? Like, this, yeah. So the, these conversations that are happening, like. You know, the negotiations between, like, oh, are they going to press assault? Are they going to press charges for the uh, for the video? That happened, like, maybe, like, two or three days after it. So oh, okay, so it was quickly. After, yeah, so, like, I'm, like, basically make it my personal mission of, like, 
I don't want to be the sacrificial lamb for the marijuana community of like, okay, we're going to go after Andy Harris for assault, and if you get charges pressed against you for the wiretapping, sorry. You know, Did you really think that they were ever going to charge a federal, con- you know, a congressman, a United States congressman with assault? I mean, come on. Yeah, I, and and that's and, and I, I and I don't mean to, to patronize, but I'm just saying I, they, I think they that were that's. They were 100% this was Adam's group. Serious about like they were not joking around about doing this. Okay. Like, they really were dead set on it because I literally had to beg them for the next two days not to do it. I'm like, this is my future that we're gambling with. This is not yeah. worth it. We're not going to get anything. Yeah. We're just going to lose. I'm going to get fucked over. Yeah, and, and then that's fair. I mean, you got to look out for yourself at this yeah. point. Um. When did you get a summons? Did you get a summons here in Howard County at your home address, or did you get a summons sent to your Salisbury address? Did you get served by a police officer? I didn't. I didn't get served or anything. But so I begged them not to go forward with the assault charge. They're like, fine, we won't go forward with the assault charge. And I'm like, okay, thank God, they're not going to go after me with the wiretap thing. Like two days later, I get a call from assault. My parents get a call from assault. And that, and at that moment, were you like, oh Jesus, Jay? You know, like, oh. I'm like Andy Harris is such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but in in fairness, on the, on the flip side, you know, I think that you not knowing the law is still not an excuse, right? I mean, well, it's an, actually that's what I thought the whole time because I was like, damn, that really sucks not knowing the law is not. But now you do. I can't, I can't say like. Oh, you know, I killed someone, but I didn't know killing someone was illegal, therefore I can't get in trouble. Like, obviously, it's not a valid excuse, but something I found out literally last night, mm-hmm. someone sent that, someone sent this to me, because when I got interviewed on the Real News Network, a lot of more people... The Real like, News Network, what is that? It's like a uh, Baltimore-based independent media company. Okay. Um, but, the, so someone did some research into it, and apparently, when you look on, like, the the legal statutes online for like the different Maryland laws they don't have the full annotated copies online for whatever reason you have to like literally go to the physical book at a law library probably like LexisNexis yeah so um, someone sends it to me apparently specifically with the Maryland wiretapping law ignorance of the law is a valid legal Hmm. defense and you cannot get in trouble for it I, I got the provision here so be willfulness Knowledge of the act required for intentional violation. Violation of the Maryland Wiretap Act requires willfulness on behalf of the alleged violator, and willfulness is defined as either an intentional violation or a reckless disregard of a known legal duty, or when the law makes knowledge of some requirement an element of the offense. It is totally incorrect to say that ignorance of such law is no excuse or that everyone is presumed to know such law. Mm-hmm. So the the legal code and the, the case law makes it very clear that ignorance of the law according for specifically for wiretapping is a valid legal defense. My lawyer did not find this in his research ahead yeah. of time, so we didn't I didn't find this out till yesterday. Fair enough. Who did you end up did you hire a local attorney? No. So um, Adam, you know, I, I guess because you know, and, and to be fair, I should have known the law as well. Like when you're doing a drug But that's per- think about this though. What you're, you're what you are conceding is that you you are. This is what I see as personal growth. Even though you had to learn what I think is the hard way, and I've done this many times. If I had to learn the really hard way, and and I think that you here are showing. Look, now I know the law. Now I'm more informed. Now I know what I can and cannot do, and you can use that in the future to not only your advantage, but to help other people who may want to be an activist 
And I, I think that's important right here, and this is a breakthrough moment. It's a valuable lesson, for sure. No, it's, it's fair, and I'm sure you, when you had to go before a, a judge and, and make that case, and you're not a kid that gets in trouble, I think that that would be something I would say. And so, at, so you got an attorney through this organization, right? Was that your attorney? Yeah, uh, specializes in First Amendment right stuff. Um, and did you meet with him? Yeah, I met with him. Where did I you? Actually, didn't meet him. But we communicated a ton over email, text, mm-hmm. and phone call, but I actually did not meet. And they him. never charged you. Uh, they didn't charge me, but Adam had to pay. Okay. Uh, Do you know how much he had to pay? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know. If, no, I mean, yeah. if you can't, I mean, it's fine. I just, I, I'm just I trying know, to get every minor detail. No, that's fair. So, when did you... No, that's fair. When, and I assume that you had to go to court in Salisbury, and um, that's Worcester County, right? Uh, Wacomico. Wacomico. I'm thinking Ocean, Ocean City's Worcester. Wacomico, so you had to go before the judge, and you were facing felony counts, right? Yeah, two, two, two felony, felony counts. Charges, so, um, did that scare you, Jake? Did, did you think this is it? I mean, and by the way, did you have to notify the university? Um, I didn't have to notify the university, but because it was national news and every headline had me as, like, Salisbury University student discharged with yeah. felony, uh, they definitely found out. Did they contact you? They contacted, they actually... Uh, I've been there before where you do something off campus, and even though that you're a student, I mean, look... You sign your rights away when you become a student. I mean, you have a bill of rights that you have to subscribe to. And as a former student from Duquesne University, I remember talking to Judicial Affairs a couple of times. And they're like, Mr. Minor, it doesn't matter that it happened off campus. Whether you know, It's immaterial whether or not it had nothing to do with Duquesne University. You're still a student. You're, and we have to approach this and adjudicate this separately from a legal entity. And I'm like... Oh, God damn it. <laughs> so I did have to go through that. I had a disciplinary code of conduct. Did you have to go through a hearing? Because there is a rule that, you know, students can't violate a local, state, or federal law, but then there's another condition <laughs> that in violating the local, state, or federal law, you also, they have to prove that yeah. you put the campus community at harm in some way. But did you? I made the argument that I didn't. No. So I had to go through the hearing, but I actually didn't, they didn't take any disciplinary action. Did you have to sit before, like, a student, it's teacher board okay so you told your story and they ultimately decided not to do anything with that okay um when did you go to court So you got another lawyer. Right now, it's the same Mark. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, he's saying, like, look, you know, whether you broke 
broke the statute or not, it's debatable, but no reasonable county state's attorney is going to move forward with this just because it would sort of just be such bad PR of like you're using the law against a young protester who was, you know, protesting a public official. It looks like the state is cracking down on civil dissent. Like the optics are just really bad. So he was like saying, I would be very surprised if they decided to prosecute. Because just because they press charges doesn't necessarily mean they move forward. Did you plead guilty? Um, yeah, I ended up pleading guilty. But even before, so it's up to the county state's attorney. The police did their investigation. I didn't speak to the police or anything. But, you know, a couple days go by, a week goes by, two weeks go by, three weeks, four weeks, a month goes by. We still have not heard anything. And from the beginning, my lawyer was saying this is not going to go anywhere. This would be very surprising if this went anywhere. And so after over a month, um, we hear not from the county state's attorney, but from the Maryland state prosecutor, that the Maryland state prosecutor has now picked up this case and is deciding to prosecute me. Um, Who, which one? Uh, his name is Emmett. Yeah, Emmett. Em, yep, yep. Um, so we find that out, and my lawyer's like very confused of like, one, how did it get from the county state's attorney the state prosecutor because it's only supposed to go to the state. How, how do you think uh, i i come on you're talking about a united states congressman f- friends in high places yeah. and you're a young democratic activist who goes in and i don't want to say you i don't think you embarrassed him in any way there wasn't anything on i, I mean i saw the record there wasn't anything on that recording that was not something that he would have stated outside i just think that they asked you not to do it you still did it and that's what they were pissed off about, and reasonably so. But there wasn't anything on the recording, so you can imagine. And and I'm I'm just speculating, and it and this may be not fair for me to do, but I would imagine that it's pretty easy for a United States congressman to pick up the phone and say, "Well, well, you know, maybe this should be taken more seriously." Now, had it been a, a pro-life activist going into a Planned Parenthood. Um, facility, I would imagine that the out- outcome would have been a lot different, I, I, knowing Andy Harris. I think you're exactly right. And of course, you know, I don't have proof. And I don't either. I'm just speculating. What, what I do know is, according to like the, the Maryland legal code, a wiretapping case is only supposed to go to the Maryland state prosecutor if the person doing the recording and the person getting recorded were in two different jurisdictions. So the Linda Tripp thing, for example, in the 90s, mm-hmm. that correctly went to the Maryland state prosecutor because one person was in D.C., one person was in Maryland. That's right, but and it I complicates was, things when you're in two different yeah, jurisdictions. But I was in literally the same room in Salt mm-hmm. as the person I was recording. Yep. So whether the state prosecutor even had legal like authority to prosecute my case is up in the air, but um, I didn't find that out until I started speaking to like the ACLU about it, and then they hmm. pointed out, and then other people who read about my case emailed me. Did, me did they give advice. you any, did the ACLU volunteer to help or give you any instructions? They, they, they couldn't represent me because I already had representation, mm-hmm. but they just sort of gave me just general advice and like didn't charge me for it. So oh, that's fair. That's nice. Their thoughts and like pointed out things that were really helpful, like, you know, the, what the state prosecutor has. So Jake, you go to court uh-huh. and you plead guilty and what was your, your punishment? So, probation before judgment deal that they offered me if i didn't take the probation before judgment they would have prosecuted you yeah yeah facing maximum 10 years but yeah and you're not and look um i don't think you want to go to jail and and that would especially over something is 
like this? I mean, you, um, did you, when you, did you address the judge? Um, I, and no, I, I was, okay. I was so scared. Like once I accepted the probation before judgment deal, which was yeah. three years probation and then a hundred hours of community service. Have you started that? Yeah, I have. Okay. Um, they should count this podcast as community. Yeah, they're in the community. <laughs> that's right. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm doing stuff with Progressive Maryland mostly. Um, so th- that's, okay, so they let you do that. It's a non-profit. Well, that's good. I mean, it's, so you get a probation before judgment, meaning that you're not judged, you're not prosecuted, that they're putting this off to the side, and how long is your probation? Three years. Three years. So, um, so well, for fel- if you think for a felony, for two felony counts, then that's, um, that's, I... It could have been worse. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. You could have been a convicted felon, yeah. which means that you would never be able to carry a gun, which means that your limitation and your rights would be... It, it, it could. So now that the, this, that episode of, is over, any, any other breakthrough since i mean has anything happened past that yeah so um the reason that the the real news network which i brought up earlier the reason why they were so interested in my case is um you know they were just because they they heard i I sent them the stuff that the aclu had said about like questioning does this guy even have like jurisdiction to prosecute jake over this um that Emmett Davitt prosecutor was already on their radar because um, right in the neighboring county, in Worcester County, just his prosecution of me and like any Harris going after me, it was it seemed politically motivated to say the least. Um, so the reason why that stuck out to them is they were already suspicious because he was doing at the same exact time another politically motivated prosecution. There's a guy. In Worcester County, there's a city called Pocomoke, a mm-hmm. small city. Yep. Um, and there's a guy named Kelvin Sewell who was a black police chief there. I think he might have been the first black police chief in uh, Pocomoke City. And, um, you know, it's the Eastern Shore, it's very much a, a good old boy system in some parts. There's, you know, socially conservative place, and, you know, racism is, you know, more prevalent there than it is here. Or at least they're certainly more open about it um, in some parts of the Eastern Shore. And uh, the Pocomoke City Police Department is certainly one of those places. And basically, uh, three of the officers were being discriminated against and, like, harassed by the white officers. And, like, um, you know, they said the N-word all the time. They would, like, uh, put, like, food stamps on their desk and, like, pictures of Obama and, like, a bloody deer tail on on their car or something. So, like, they faced a lot of harassment. They complained about it. Um, And they actually wanted uh, Kelvin Sewell to fire two of the black police officers, um, I guess because they were complaining about the, the racial treatment. Um, Kelvin Sewell refused to fire them, and then um, he actually got fired from his thing, and then him and two of the other officers filed a, uh, like a civil rights case and got like a $450,000 settlement, um, so they got paid off, but then while, before they won the settlement, while that stuff's going in motion, um, and that, that happened like back in like 2015. So that happened kind of a while ago. Um, while that stuff's going on, Emmett Davitt decides to pick back up uh, a 2014 case that had been sort of filed against Sewell but then, like, dropped. He decides to pick it back up, basically saying, uh, trying to accuse him of, like, um, for not, like, issuing someone a hit and run and, and just, like, issuing them, um, like, a, 
that they that they just like did the accident in the first place. Um, that he he showed like preference to him because they were in the same Masonic lodge, but they apparently were not really like friends or anything. They just happened to be in the Masonic lodge, so like it was sort of a, strong down there. Yeah. It's very it's yeah it's I think especially with that connection, it's it's particularly strong. They they protect one another. So it but it, it's the it, the timing just seemed very odd. It just seemed like Emmett Davitt's only doing this. To go after someone who was a whistleblower on racist policing in Pocomoke City just because... We know he's retiring. Yeah, Yeah, he's retiring. I think at the end of this year. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I guess... uh, But because, you know, that prosecution seemed sort of politically motivated because that is a very real thing of, like, people who are whistleblowers and speak out face retribution and get blackballed from the industry and that sort of thing. Um, So... He was already on the Real News Network's uh, radar, and it just seemed to be like a pattern of behavior for him that he sort of acts in a a politically motivated way. And when the Real News Network was was interviewing me, something I didn't even realize about the state prosecutors, like the whole reason why that office exists is literally to like um, hold the people in power accountable and make sure that, you know, to basically go after people in power when they do things wrong. But he's been using his position to instead sort of protect the people in power and then go after, um, you know, citizens like myself or, uh, like, like Sewell, who was, you know, even though he was a police officer, he was speaking out against the racism in the police force. Um, so still going after. So, so so just wrapping up here, what's happening with your case? Yeah. So, well, I already accepted the the three year probation before judgment deal. So I will uh, just be. On so that's it. I mean, proba- yeah. As far as I know, so after finding this stuff out about like, um, it is uh, a thing that you you have to have known about the two party consent law, for, like to be charged with being guilty of it. Um, is there a possibility that they could open your case back up? Yeah. So that's basically up to me, and that's something I'm going to have to think about. Does that mean you're going to have to expend money? I mean, that would mean that would you have to get your I own research? Yeah. That's that could be costly. Co- yeah, so I don't know if I'm going to do it. Um, but like, really, one of the one of the uh, conditions with the probation before judgment deal is like you can't uh, appeal the case. Mm. Um, yeah. So I'm going to have to look into like because I texted my lawyer about it. He said that there was something you could do to like try to get out of it and then go to retrial, but. Again, I don't really know if it's worth the risk. But if you're retried, then is there a possibility that you could be faced again with the felony? Well, yeah, I would be, and then that's what I would be battling. Like, so, and if you took it to trial, then I, yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a it could be a major issue. That's the risk. Yeah, yeah, that's the risk. I mean, that's what you're up against. So, um, I mean, you got a lot to think about. But yeah. you know, Jay, tell me, what do you what have you learned from all of this? What, I've learned you know, well, I, I disagree, obviously, with uh, with just the way that the two-party consent law is written. I think that public officials should be exempted from it, and they shouldn't have the same privacy expectations as normal people. But so right, you you consider the staffers public officials in, yeah. in, in congressional law? Like, I think, like, any taxpayer-funded person. So I think, like, for example, I don't think a student that records a teacher in a classroom without the teacher's permission, I don't think that that student should, like, get a felony pressed again. Like, I think... Teachers should be able to be recorded. I think, like, anyone who serves the public, whether it be a, a cop, um, 
the staffer of a of a public, of a congressperson, we should be able to record them. And, and you might think that that sounds a little crazy, but that is the case in 38 other states already. Um, so it's not really unreasonable. So would you work to change the law? Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. Is I'm trying because the ACLU had given me that sort of legal advice mm -hmm. and been helpful with me. I've been reaching out to them to try to get them because. It, it's just too hard, and you know, in, in Annapolis, like spending time there, I'm sure you know this. Like, for just one <laughs> private citizen to like get someone to like, sponsor a law for you, it's hard. So you need like you need a lobbyist. You need the backing of a big organization. Yeah, or a lobbyist that yeah. takes on the case. Um, have you found in the state legislature any allies to your case? Um, so I haven't really. Uh, really broached the issue too much with anyone mm -hmm. yet just because I want to get the ACLU on board first and then it'll be much easier to get a yes but like just off the top of my head um, someone I did bring this up to a little bit um, I interned last session for Senator Paul Pinsky in Prince George's County um, I don't know it sounded like he was like you know sort of on the fence like he might do I think getting the ACLU on board would really be helpful but mainly his thing is he was giving me the advice let me, let me give you some advice talk to Sarah Love from District 16 okay. tell her I sent you I know Sarah well she was the former policy director for Maryland's ACLU she's a big privacy advocate probably one of the most prominent now in the Maryland General Assembly and if you talk to Sarah Love and you call her and let her know about the case and uh, I'm not saying that she will help you or not help you, but I think that having that conversation, she is a uh, a Princeton graduate. She is a very gifted attorney, and someone that if I had an issue, I would call her. And I and I think that look, we're as someone as a journalist, I I, I feel you. I mean, I, I I use this as a means to communicate what's happening in real life all the time and it's uh it's it's something that we have to be abreast of the law yeah. and i and That's I, what I was say. yeah and i'm sure that yeah. now that you are aware of what maryland law states and w how to interpret that you know if you're in a private setting or if you're outside and you start recording um you know what you can and cannot say and that's knowledge is power yeah. and i'm sure that this incident at this pivotal moment of your life at such a young age at 20 21 years old um y you can use that that to to continue to, to to improve who you are and bolster your career um so do you do you think that this incident look it's it's all over the papers and someone like yourself i'm sure you said well i'd probably get out in front of this and talk about it that's what i would do i mean if i were you i would try to go on every single media outlet that i can to at least explain my position and yeah and that's fair and i appreciate that i i would do the same thing and it's a, certainly a strategy that's worthy of um of of the incident so you're you and i are having this long form conversation and that's important um so what are, are you concerned at all, Jake, that this is going to come back and affect your life? No, I, I, right away, before I really saw public reaction, that is something that I was concerned about. But um, at, you know, after even just a couple weeks of this making the news, um, it quickly became clear that like whether I was right or wrong legally, in the court of public opinion, they definitely saw Andy Harris as like key asshole in this situation. And that's fair. I, and I saw the social media comments, and I think that... 
for a Congress... By the way, I'm just thinking off to the side, did he comment on your situation at all? No, he did not. So, okay, he never said anything. I see. Do you want to sit down with him and talk to him? Just to tell him your son. I would. I would do it. Would you contact him and say, listen, I've been through this. Um, I, if you could make 10 minutes to talk to me, I would appreciate it just to explain to you. I mean, you may not apologize, but um, would you say, hey, listen, I, I learned this by doing this, and but I really want to talk to you about marijuana legalization. That's <laughs> <If laughs> a good I, end. If I thought that there was a chance that he might yeah. Maybe I would, but I don't think that he would agree to that. But should he? I mean, do you think he 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 sure. could? I mean, yeah. sure. Look, this is a yeah. this is a learning experience, yeah. and Andy Harris is not going to. It probably won't change his mind on marijuana legalization. He's probably not going to change his policy positions, and I. But I think it's a good opportunity to have a conversation with a young, impressionable college student that he can talk to, and you guys are in disagreement on the issues. I, I think I think it's a win-win situation. You might come away better understanding his position, and he could come away better, you know, at least to consider your position. I, I guess to, to make it clear... Isn't that what congressmen are I, supposed to do? I don't think he's an honest actor. I think uh, him and, and most congresspeople are, you know, very much corrupt, and they just... Do the will of their donors, and he's accepted like over forty thousand dollars from the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so I think that I don't think it. He has like actually a philosophic disagreement with legalized marijuana. Like the dude's a doctor. Like he he knows what the research says. Like he can feign ignorance all he wants, but like I I, I don't think it's just oh the the right argument has never been made to him. I think there's nothing that's going to. Sounds like that you have. But if you could change his mind, I mean, talk to him on a one-on-one level, then that would be an important conversation to have. And and I see you smiling, but I, but I, but I mean that. I think that through through this experience, I think that you would be well equipped to to have that conversation. And look, the trends are really moving towards legalization. And whether that happens in Maryland next year or two years from now, I, I don't know. But I think that in the next four to eight years, we're going to see that. It might be sooner than we think. Yeah. There's a lot of allies in the, the General Assembly who are very pro-legalization. I think it will go up to the ballot next year. It, I mean, if it goes to the ballot, it's going to, be, it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I believe 100% it will happen. You put it to the ballot, then... In every state. Yeah. That's how it's always worked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I support that. I, I do. And, and the, the, the right uses the ballot. And and why not take on an issue where we talk about it? And if it passes, then if I and I think it would have an overwhelming mandate. Yeah, I really do. It, direct democracy, yeah. Let the, let the mm, yeah. Um, I think if most issues got decided like that. So so Jake, you'll graduate next year from Salisbury. What do you want to do? So uh, actually, going through this entire process, and want to be a lawyer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, a constitutional lawyer. Uh, I, I don't section of law yeah maybe good for you first amendment stuff um looking at law schools um i have not really started just because
because this was something that I kind of got talked into just mm -hmm. by my lawyer and by uh, actually my political science department head at Salisbury University who used to be a lawyer as well. Um, and just this really did open my eyes because the whole time I was thinking like, and I'm, I'm not saying that like my lawyer did a bad job, but I think if he had a little bit more fight and like looked into stuff, mm -hmm. finding out that, you know, uh, there has to be willful intent to break the law. Um, it, it, had I been equipped to do all the legal casework and like studying and looking at the different provisions of the law, if I was, if I had been through law school, I think that I might have been able to actually fight this case. So, um, you, you were, <laughs> you're in the same boat that that I was my senior year. I, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and so what I did um, my senior year of college, um, go, the summer before. I interned for um, a little-known Indiana congressman named Mike Pence. So I, I found this gig, um, and it, it's not that I had any connection to Mike Pence. I wanted to be involved in a busy press shop. And so a, a friend of a friend sent my resume over, and I didn't know anything about Mike Pence. And I, I knew that he um, was a Republican, and so I interned instead in Mike Pence's office, um, but I also studied for the LSATs that summer. So I would, I would, I lived in D.C., um, and then I studied for the LSATs. So I ended up taking the LSATs in um, October, September, October of um, my my senior year. And then I decided, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to law school. There's all those loans, and it's just uh, a, a huge pain. So I ultimately said, well, I want to go to work on Capitol Hill. So I ended up working on Capitol Hill. And long and thinking back, I probably should have gone to law school. Uh, so I, I, really, I probably should have. Um, but if, if, if I could give you one piece of advice, and if you're really serious about going to law school, is take this summer. Are you you're here in Howard? Are you working? Is she, is she paying you? She is. Paying okay, that's good. I mean, the, I make sure you get paid. <laughs> Whatever you do, make sure you get paid. Um, that's good. So I would do that, and if you really, I would take this time. I would take some practice courses and start studying the LSATs, and then uh, take it in the fall um, wherever they offer it. And I'm sure maybe Salisbury offers the L, the LSATs. And yeah, I mean, you got to pay for it, but um, you, you can take it as many times as you want, and uh, I believe it's still on the uh, the 180 curve, so it goes from like 120 to 180, um, and then decide what you want to do, get a good LSAT score, um, you know, make sure your grades are where they're supposed to be, and then pick a law school. Um, if not, then uh, I would, I mean, you got a lot of options, so just... I do campaigns, if I, if I decide not to go that route, mm -hmm. Try my hand at um, really that. That'd be great if I could be a paid organizer for a group like our Revolution or Progressive mm -hmm. Island. Um, but yeah, no, the the law stuff. Um, just going through the situation um, has sort of opened my eyes towards. Well, you'll be graduated by the time the twenty twenty campaign rolls around, right? Yeah. I mean, you'll be so. Um, I mean, sure, that could, that could be an opportunity, and depending on who the nominee is, and we, we have no idea yet what's going to happen in the Democratic primary. It's such a wide-open field. Um, I, I hear a Bernie fan. Okay. Um, well, like I said, we, we have no idea what's going to happen, but um, 
Well, Jake, this is a fascinating story, and um, I appreciate you coming on and talking to me and being willing to share the story. And um, I, I, I think that uh, you are clearly on the right path. It looks like this was a learning experience, and that's what, uh, that's what life is all about. And I'm glad that you, uh, you learned something, especially about the law. So um, any final thoughts? my story here and then sure. I would be doing myself a disservice if I did not plug uh, my <laughs> social media. So yeah, please. Uh, feel free to uh, go follow my uh, activist page on Facebook. It's Jake Burdett Progressive Activist or you can even, uh, add me as a friend uh, just personally if you'd like. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Jake underscore Burdett. Um, and yeah, I'm uh, that, that, that's about it. Uh, also, look into Brianna Urbina running for Congress in Maryland's 5th Congressional District, uh, challenging Stanley Hoyer. Right on. Jake, pleasure to have you, man. Thanks for coming out on this day. And uh, we're here at Pasta Blitz. Uh, I'm looking at a sign that says the condiment station, um, but they have calamari, bruschetta, marsala, lasagna. I'm just reading something that's on the wall. Canola. I know, it feels like a, a little Italy. It's It's... It's it's very Roman esque, and uh, it looks like you're on the uh, the Gulf of Sorrento right over there, and uh, maybe um, Venice or Verona or some sort of gondola boats. But that's it's a cool place, and I encourage any of the listeners over in Howard County stop on out. It's a locally owned business, and uh, patron this uh, this neat establishment. My name is Ryan Miner. Uh, you can find me on the web at a minor detail podcast.com, a minor detail.com. Subscribe to my daily newsletter, and um, I appreciate the listenership, and uh, we'll be back again soon. So thanks for listening, everybody. Visit a minor detail.com for the latest episodes, and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Castbox, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher or any one of your favorite podcast apps. I would love to hear from you. Email me at ryan at a minor detail.com. Thanks so much for listening.